welcome back to View from the Loch uh, after a two-week break uh, of where I was found uh, sort of stomping around a field in Somerset. Uh, and uh, no, I didn't see Elton's last performance. Uh, I have to say I was over in the Mishak Paris tent with 50 other people, uh, and uh, I find that quite an exhilarating experience because um, everybody's asked me, did I see Elton's last performance? And actually, I didn't. Um, now, our guest, never mind about that, but our guest this week, um, what can I say? Uh, a chap who I've met quite a few times uh, has 114 caps for England rugby, four Grand Slams, 2003 Rugby World Cup winner, uh, and two tours for the British Lions, British and Irish Lions, uh, winning versus South Africa in 1997. Was the youngest prop at the time of age 22 to play for England. And I'm delighted to welcome to View from the Loch, Jason Leonard. Hi there, everyone. Jason, great to have you on. Now, I have to say that uh, obviously uh, we chat golf and I know you're a, a very keen golfer. Uh, but we'll sort of dive a bit into the, the, the sport of, of rugby, if you don't mind, uh, as well. So for you, Jason, when did you first get exposed to the game of golf and uh, where did you play uh, in the initial days? Um, <clears throat> I suppose to a certain degree, I, I'm very much a latecomer to golf in that aspect, Bill, because um, when you're playing rugby, especially in my position, uh, a prop forward, um, the amount of training you do and uh, the amount of weights that you push and the, and the contact during the week and um, <clears throat> smashing into scrummage machines and smashing into people, really. Um, you didn't really, um, on your day off, want to, to walk around and do 18 holes in that aspect. So um, I, I played a bit. You'd go on tour and you'd, you'd have a, a day out with the lads and stuff like that, you have some fun, but I didn't actually play in that aspect. And it wasn't really until a couple of years after finishing rugby, around about 2005, um, just started picking up a little bit more. Just, uh, it's a great day out. More often than not, you're with great people. Uh, and if the, the sun is shining, you, you can't get a better day than that. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's the beauty about golf, Jason. I mean, you know, with the handicap system and everything, uh, Brendan Rogers, who was a guest, was something similar. He only started when he moved, really moved over to uh, to England uh, in his twenties, uh, and uh, it, it is a sport that people do pick up at various times in their life. Uh, and it must have been, um, you know, playing golf for you with some of the rugby boys. Does that competitive spirit? Jason come out when you're playing with Guscott or Andrew or Keith Wood, uh, you know, uh, th those boys are, 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 you know, very keen golfers. Do you get competitive? Uh, with, with those guys, less so, I'd say, because they, they are very good golfers. Um, yeah, but the competitive, the competitive side is always there. You, you always want to beat whoever you're playing with and, and and to a certain degree you're always playing against yourself as well because you want to you want to improve on the last time you played you want to you want to have a better round than the last one you had so yeah the, you, you do look at it a little bit like that and I think most more often than not it's it is competitive but it's also the camaraderie that goes with it as well it's the well. fun it's going going around for a couple of hours talking <clears throat> to a couple of people that Sometimes you, you know very well they're best mates, but you could be in a uh, a club a club day or a, a charity day, and you, you wouldn't know who you're playing with. And the same thing applies. You, you want to go around, you want to chat, you want to have a, a good time. It's 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 part and parcel of golf in that aspect. Well, I think it's a good relaxed way of looking at it, Jason. I mean, that should be the way of it for most of us. We're not professional golfers. And I think that's the beauty of, of playing golf is the camaraderie, as you just pointed out, uh, connections as well. And do you play or do you get invited to play in many pro-ams, Jason? You, you, you do, but my diary doesn't really allow that. It's, it's bad enough trying to get 
a, a day here and a day there in my diary. So um, no, I, I, again, I suppose if I if I at some point in the future, if I have a bit more time on my hands, it's, it's something I would like to do. But at this moment, I was just it's I wouldn't be able to do myself justice because I'll be rushing there, rushing away from there. I, w- I won't enjoy the experience to, to do something like that. You want to immerse yourself in the day or the couple of days or the weekend, whatever it is. I can't do that at this moment in time. I just don't have the time. Yeah, and, and so being a prop forward, I mean, you know, strength, upper body strength is is incredibly important. I mean, do you smash the driver, <laughs> you know, 200 and 300 yards <laughs> or something like that, Jason? I mean, is, is that, do you not hold back? No, I, 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 it's, it's frustrating. I think that's the beauty of golf. I see guys a lot smaller than me smash it further than me. Um, I think I can I can hit it. It's, it's it's controlling where it goes. That's the issue for me, Bill. <laughs> um, but I, I, to a certain degree, it's, it's it, it has more finesse than that. And you of all people know that it's. <clears throat> you see some guys like me with great big wrists and forearms, but I wouldn't say that I've got a very pretty swing in that aspect. With a, a lifetime of of scrums behind me, so my back is slowly but surely getting fused and, and becoming stiffer and stiffer in that aspect. So I always laugh when you do you do get the chance to go around with a, a pro or a, a very good player and they say, well, look, you're not following through. Your swing should start off over one shoulder and finish off over the other. And you're like, that's not going to happen with my back. It's just not going to happen. So, so you make the most of what you've got. And I have got big wrists and I've got big forearms. So I, I do try and uh, kill the balls, you uh, technically put it. Um, but I, I did wish I had a, a lovely, smooth, beautiful swing. But sadly, I've, uh, I've not got one. And it's unlikely I'm ever going to get one. <laughs> uh, and what's your handicap, Jason? At this moment in time, I'm, I'm about 20, 21. Well, that's okay. So bandit territory. Uh, <laughs> so uh, does anybody ever try and take you on, Jason, on a scrum? <laughs> you know, do you ever get that sort of guys coming up and saying, right, okay, come on, let's take you on and see if you can, uh, you know, push me about or they try and push you about? Do you ever get that challenge? <laughs> well, I, I don't know if this is uh, a trick question. Um, a, a good few years ago, one of, one, of, one of your members from America, who used to be, a, I want to say, a, a linebacker or a tight end or something like that, big guy, he wanted yeah. to see what it was like in the scrum. So uh, we put together a makeshift scrum in the bar. Yeah. And, and, and I showed him, which <clears throat> I don't think he was too appreciative of, of, of it by the end because he's his head was nearly touching the ceiling in the bar <laughs> at my moment. So, uh, so yeah, no, you do, you do get it sometimes, but it's, <clears throat> most, most people are not that stupid. <laughs> that was a loaded question. That was absolutely hilarious. Um, so, uh, oh, I noticed in your uh, rugby career, it, uh, one of the rugby careers of all time, you've scored five points, Jason. Was that, who was that against, or was that you know five drop goals or something like that? <laughs> no, it was. It was. Um, that's that's just my my international record. I, I scored a few yeah. more at club and stuff like that. But <clears throat> no, it's it one try against Argentina in I want to say nineteen ninety six, something like that. Right. And um, it was it was the try that won us the game actually. So it was it was. It, I, I'm obviously going to pick it up being the only international try I ever scored, but it helped us win the game. But um, when I was playing for England, we used to have a a very uh, astute number seven called Neil Back. And each time we would have a a driving line out close to the opposition's line, every single time I'd get about a yard or two away from the actual line to to score a try, Neil Back would join the driving ball, take the ball off me and score a try. So that's why he's on about 30 tries for England and I'm only on one. <laughs> so it was from about five yards out, was it, Jason? Not, not even that. Not even that. <laughs> I, I, I 
say for about a yard and a half. <laughs> now, you're, well, you mentioned Argentina. Your debut was versus Argentina in Buenos Aires, and it coincided with the eighth anniversary of the Falklands War. Uh, and apparently, it was lively. Yeah, uh, tempers were running hot in that aspect. Uh, we were the first team back in after the Falklands. Um, and, and, and and actually, it, it was, it was the rugby was very hard anyway, but it, it had some extra spice to it in that aspect because of that. Um, we stood there literally for the national anthem and we said, God save the Queen and someone. It was an, an old gramophone and they, 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 they zipped it off the gramophone. You just heard this almighty scratch like, like this. Um, when in, in Buenos Aires, the test was in Buenos Aires, and actually had orange trees around the stadium. So all the fans basically take all the oranges off the trees, pop, pop them in their pockets. And while, while you're playing the game or standing there for a line out, an orange would come whizzing past your, your nose, something like that. Um, we found on the pitch during the game, there was um, an empty whiskey bottle that got thrown onto the pitch. There was a pair of scissors. A pair of scissors were, were in, embedded into the, the turf. And the weirdest thing that we found thrown on the pitch come the end of the game was a bath tap, but it was a, a huge bath tap. So, yes. <clears throat> I mean, who on earth takes a bath tap to a game of rugby? I know it's, you just couldn't work it out in that aspect. Um, but that said, I mean, the rugby, the rugby was hard, but the people were fantastic. I mean, even though... We were fighting in every single game, if you know what I mean. But the the actual Joe public were, were, were great and very hospitable and very proud of their country and, and welcomed us. I mean, all, all the sort of bars and restaurants that we went to was was yes. fantastic hospitality. But it was, it was just the rugby. I mean, uh, rugby is a physical contact sport that you rely on a certain amount of emotion in within the game and sometimes it must really bold mostly boiled over a couple of times too many um on that tour but it was, it was a, a memorable tour for me it was my first full english tour with some great english players so i was i was very glad to go there well i mean you, you you're uh, for those familiar with rugby i'm going to read out a list of names and they are right up there with the best but you know, you, 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 the forwards and, and, and the people that you played with, Brian Moore, Wade Dooley, Dean Richards, Mick Skinner, Mike Teague, Peter Winterbottom, these are people that uh, you know are, are so familiar. And uh, I know we have a lot of English guys and girls listening to the, the program as well. Well, if you're into rugby, you'll know those chaps, okay? Um, was, I mean, unfair question. Everybody's got different skills. But uh, was there anybody that was the comedian, maybe, in that pack? Uh, there, there was quite a few, really. I mean, it, everybody had their moments. Uh, Wade, <coughs> excuse me, Wade Dooley was a very, very funny, dry, dry character. Um, the, the funniest guy of the lot was, uh, and he's, he's gone on to a number of things now, is a guy called Martin Bayfield, who's a second okay. with Dooley. Uh, in the early 90s and um, he's, a, he's a great after dinner speaker great raconteur he's, uh, he's he's been uh, what was he, he was Hagrid's body double in the Harry Potter films well, obviously the size of him he's six, he's six foot ten in his socks or anything like that so of course he's, he's going to play a giant in, in that respect so um, so he's, he's had a wonderful career but he was, he was also a, a, a cracking rugby player in that aspect but he was always good on tour because yeah. he was always life and soul. He was always, he's a funny guy. He's, he's a good guy to be around and stuff like that. So, so yeah, Martin Bayfield would most probably be the, the, the best one that you'd want to tour with. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Uh, great names and Bayfield as well uh, included. So, I mean, in, in terms of, of golf, Jason, for you, do you, you know, you follow <coughs> it, watch it and whatever and, and are a fan. Do you have a favourite golfer? 
Is there somebody that you think, um, yeah, that'd be great to play with? I suppose to a certain degree, you'd <clears throat> you'd be you'd be honoured to play with any of them because they're they're what they what they can do under that pressure is truly amazing. I'd I'd, I'd most probably say because of the if the the, the, the amazing thing for for me as a, a layman in that aspect is when you get a chance when you're 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 watching the Ryder Cup and, and stuff like that. So you you'd You'd look at all the previous Ryder Cups, and 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 the, and the coverage now is amazing, and how they can switch from from players to players and hole to hole, and it's 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 amazing sitting yes. and watching that sort of thing like that. Um, no, I've got I train at this. You'd love to say Jack Nicholas or, or something like that, or yeah. to go back in back in the day and and just see these guys then, and yeah, and now you look at all the guys now with the uh, modern technology of clubs and, and stuff like that and the, the uh, development golf balls and, and stuff like that but you'd you'd love to see someone in the past like a a jack nicholson uh, you'd, you'd have a gary player who are <clears throat> those sort of guys that just conjures up an image like that in the modern day guys oh that there's that you could you could take your pick out of anyone i suppose rory mcelroy will always be a, a popular one for everyone mm-hmm here well done jason we've gone through every podcast and rory's name has come is up really? in every one yeah that, that's that's brilliant i mean but but again it's it's like as you say you 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 see him and um you just you just want the best for him even in the in the, the last comp so then like that it's just go go rory come on let's let's see it let's do it let's do it so then like that so yeah i'd, I'd, I'd say rory's got to be up there with the, the best of him in that aspect yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Gary Player. Um, you know, I, this is probably a story that's done the rounds a bit, but uh, I'm not sure. But anyway, whether it's true or not, I'm not, you know, but they have a dry wit and humour of that. I mean, you get that throughout the ages. Uh, but I think that particular gang of golfers, you know, it, it was hard-edged. Uh, I watched a bit as a very young kid at the Open um, uh, 73 and Troon. Oh my goodness, I, I was young then, but uh, you know, and, and watched the, Trevino, and who was just a great entertainer and one of my favorites. Um, you know, but player was was tough, they had this tough ruggedness, you know, uh, about them. Um, and I was told a story about Gary Player that uh, he um. Uh, well, I can tell you two, uh, but uh, one is he was playing Royal Port Rush, and whatever caddy was with him, I think it was a local caddy that he just asked, you know, to go round and what have you. And uh, he said, uh, How far to the flag to the caddy? And the caddy said, uh, From the sprinkler, Mr. Player, it's 158 yards. And Gary Player turned around and said, yeah, but is that from the front of the sprinkler or from the back of the sprinkler? <laughs> Such was the sort of margins that those guys uh, dealt with. But he was at the club here at Loch is telling a story now. And uh, anyway, I'm in for a penny, but uh, uh, very nice chap, quite quite serious kind of guy. Uh, but he was staying at um, Loch Lomond, and this must have been about eight years ago. And, and I walked, wandered out let's just say cheerio and, and, and all the best nice to meet you and he said i just have one complaint and i thought oh right okay um and i said what is that mr player he said the 10 bed lodge so if you're not familiar with Loch lomond i do apologize but we have these lodges scattered about the 10 bed lodge is too far away from ross to house the clubhouse and i thought right of all the complaints that i could have had that's one i could probably live with because it is where it is and that's all there is to do about it and he bid me good day and off he went and he had a great time so um anyway uh yeah i know what you mean that sort of era really yeah. fascinating i mean again you said Trevino, just <clears throat> watching a guy like him but but he he was slightly different that you just watched him he was playing with a smile on his face all the time. He was joking. Yeah. He was where a lot of guys wasn't doing that. And and then obviously when you you you, you move on a little bit further, Seth 
if you think about Ballesteros in, in that aspect, yeah. we'd love to be in his company. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure if you think, if you wanted to sit down for dinner with a number of golfers, I'm, I'm pretty sure those three or four would keep cropping up in that aspect. I think they do, Jason, you're right. You're absolutely right. Those guys keep cropping up. Tom Watson as well. So, you know, you, you moved from amateur, the change then to professional. Um, that happened in your career, didn't it, Jason? Did you yeah, move? Yeah, no, it's in, exactly in the middle of my career. So I had hmm. seven years playing for England as a, an amateur. As yeah. rugby was your hobby. You, you did it at the weekends and you worked during the week. And then seven years as a professional when your your hobby become your job, which was the best job in the world in that aspect. Um, so, yeah, so completely different, chalk and cheese. Um, you, you've got no pressure on you, really. I mean, you, you have, but you're still representing your country and you're playing in front of 50,000, 60,000 senior stadiums. But um, when, when it turned pro, it, it just allowed you to be a, a proper, proper rugby player, really. Because even when we was amateur, we was, you, you're only playing it. There's only so much training you could do after work or <clears throat> before work or, or whatever it would be. So you, you, there's only so much you could do. So it actually, you, you, you sort of got rid of the shackles uh, in that aspect and was able to train to the highest standards to, to become a better player. So, so yeah, no, it was, it was, it was long, long overdue, really, if you, you think about how much time players used to give up for rugby. And it was, it was all unpaid. It was all unpaid leaves. So you literally have to take holidays, yeah, like mm -hmm. a tour over to um, Australia or New Zealand or South Africa. It could be a three or, three or four week tour. So yeah. you'd have to you'd have to take a couple of weeks off, three weeks off as a holiday, and and the last week you'd you'd just take it as unpaid leave. So that was that was the amateur days back in the day. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I can remember, you know, the the rugby players, you know, and, and the amateur and the alligadoos, as we'd call them, sitting in the uh, in the pavilion, um, you know, and and it was all very. I think there's a lot of expectations. I mean, what you have to remember, Jason was running out in front of similar crowds for international matches that there are now. So it wasn't as if it was uh, 5,000 people watching England versus Ireland or England versus Wales. It was 60,000 odd people, uh, you know, and, and these guys were all amateurs. And if you can imagine, it's really weird if you think about it. You know, and the level of expectation on your shoulders from when you, you were, as you say, training after you finished work, then running out live TV, live cameras, the passion between England, Scotland, Wales and, and Ireland uh, and France uh, is, is well known. Um, and yet you're an amateur player. So was that difficult to process for you, Jason? I, I suppose not, because that's that's what it was. It was it was it was like that for players before me, generations before me. So we you you just got got on with it really. Um, I think now, if you if you look back now, even some of the modern day players now actually do ask you a question: Is in how how did you used to work and play rugby? And because yeah. all they all they know is actual professional rugby in, in that aspect. So it's like, how can you do a job? How can you do a nine to five and play rugby for England? And you're, you're sort of saying, no, it's, you're missing the point. It was, that's the only way you could do it. You, you had to get up very early in the morning and train before going to the office. Or you'd give up your lunch break to do a workout. Or you'd, you'd get back from work and you'd go out, to, go out doing running or you'd go out to the gym or whatever it would be. And it's... To, to the modern day player because obviously that's part of their normal working day. It's like, oh, they, they sometimes they can't process. So, so how did you have a job as well? And and that that yeah. was basically the tipping point. I'd, I'd actually say that was a tipping point. Is you you couldn't keep on asking employers to be your 
yeah. benefactor to a certain degree, to be to be a benefactor like that and and still expect to be in a job because at some point some some CEO or some boss is just gonna go, sorry, it's it's not worth us having you. If you're not gonna be around you, it's like what's what's the point in us employing you and paying you in that aspect? So that's basically how the professionalism of, of rugby come about was just all the players just said, look, this is this has got to give at, at some yeah. point. It's got to change at some point. And it and it changed after the World Cup in nineteen ninety five. And and obviously the physicality then changed because there's more training and as sport has progressed as well with various um I, I suppose different training regimes. Um did you notice the physicality change, Jason, that your opponents were sort of hitting you much harder than what you'd experienced in the past? I think you're aware of it, Bill. I think you've got to remember on the flip side that we're training as well, so you're yeah. actually better better equipped to handle those those knocks in in that aspect. So you've got a bit more muscle on you as well. So I think the one thing you, you realised was the um, the pace of the game. The pace of the game. Once in in, in the amateur days, you could get away with a very slow turgid game of rugby in the professional yeah. game it, it just got faster it was more zip 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 in that aspect so that was the one thing i think because everyone was fitter everyone was at it was in the gym or training whatever it would be so what took place at the weekend on a saturday or a sunday was of a better quality in that aspect. Yeah. so you you did see that and i, I think the the other side of the amateur game was it was it was actually quite a, a quite a violent game in certain aspects that um, you could you could ruck people out of the way of the ball on the floor which you can't do nowadays. Um, so again, I, I think the game has just moved on, become a cleaner game in that aspect. So less less violence, as in sheer brutal violence. Yeah. But now the, the, the physicality has now come into the, as you said, the collisions, which, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's not violent, but someone wants to run over the top of someone. And yeah. these, these are big guys running at each other, and they're running <laughs> at speed at each other as well. In that aspect. And that's where the, the collision now is where the, that physicality is, in, in, yeah. in the rucks, in the mauls, in the tackles. And... Uh, that's that's where you see the the difference nowadays. Even even from our day, even from winning the World Cup in two thousand three, it, it's gone up a number of levels since then. Um, yeah, I mean, my God, you can you can see that. Um, you know, wouldn't fancy uh, a Jason professional or amateur Jason Leonard running at me. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, I'd be running the other way as fast as I could. Um, now, in terms of uh, opponents. Uh, Jason, who, who was your toughest opponent and who always did you feel raised the game because it was England? The, the second question is easier. I, I think everyone raises their game because it's England. In, in that yeah. Um, and, and the reason why is, is a lot of countries have got a lot of history with England over the yes. years. So there, there's always something there more than the game, if you know what I mean. Um, did you did you talk about that in the in the changing room in the dressing leading up to? Was that a, a focus of discussion that we're playing X? They're going to raise their game by ten percent because it's England. Yeah, I think I think during the week we would discuss that we've we've got to be on top of our game when when you play against the side that raises their game because again it's it's it's. Uh, you're such great rivals. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think we did a number of times, really, just to just to bring everyone firmly back down to earth, just to say, look, if we if we're not playing at our best, and and you said it, if if your opposition is playing ten percent better than what they normally do because they're playing against England, and let's just say England play ten percent worse than what we mm. would expect England to play. Then all of a sudden it becomes a, 
it's a pump fight in that aspect. So you know you're 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 up against it. So you'd always try and remember, well, remind people really. <clears throat> there is there is no easy games in in international rugby now. If you if you if you take your foot off the pedal or you uh, take someone for granted, there's a very good chance you'll lose you'll lose that game because the momentum is with the opposition. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're in the game, and then once once they're in the game with their towels up, it's it's then very hard to get back into it and reverse that and stop that. And and and, and rugby's only eighty minutes as well, so it's it's a short period of time to turn that around. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think as players we we would often talk about sides that would raise their game against us, and 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 you've got to. You've, You've got to expect that. I mean, the All Blacks yeah. have been doing that for years. The All Blacks have been doing that for years. Everyone wants to beat the All Blacks because New Zealand is a, the, the, historically the best team in the world. So they've got this great aura about them and, and great history about them. They've won so much and so many accolades. So, so the All Blacks are, are used to this all the time, the, the Kiwis. So, but I think sometimes with England, it's... You, you've got to remind yourself sometimes the the history that has gone on between England and whoever you're playing against, and people growing up will dislike England because of it. So it's, it's pure, it's human nature at the end of the day, bro. It's not. It, it makes it sound very deep, but it's not. It's, it's one of those that you you just get on with it, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you very kindly. We went to the. Uh... Murrayfield for Scotland, England. I have to say, uh, Jason was a tremendous host. Stopped about every five feet for an autograph or photograph. He refused absolutely nobody. J- Jason, let me tell you, is one of life's gentlemen. Uh, and uh, he, he really is to huge respect within the game and, and in life itself, Jason. And I, I know that from a lot of people that say a lot of things. Uh, and, and we went to the game and Scotland prevailed. Uh, and there was because Scotland and England would be maybe, you know, certainly up there in rivalry with the Calcutta Cup and, and what have you. Scotland played just a, a, incredibly well, um, I have to say. And England maybe just didn't quite, they were certainly talented, but just didn't, didn't quite get there. Or Scotland didn't allow them to get there. And you got the fervor and you got the nationalism and, you know, and, and everything that went with it. But you're absolutely right. Uh, the majority of people that stopped you, Jason, for a chat and a, and a photograph or autograph were Scottish. In fact, <laughs> most of them were, you know. And so you're absolutely right. It's kind of you leave it as soon as you cross the white line, okay. And then you know, back in the changing room, everybody's having a bit of a celebration, or whatever. Now, I, I, you know, it can get edgy, uh, and life can get a bit edgy these days. But I have to say that. Um, uh, the respect shown to you, from what I saw up close, uh, was was incredible. Oh, yes. I think we're quite lucky as a as a sport that we have we have great fans. We have great fans. Yeah. And when I say great fans, I, I I I think it's great when you you go away and you're in sort of Edinburgh or you're you're in Cardiff, you're in Dublin. Is it's just fantastic, and and yeah, and there's there's banter there, and there's plenty of chat and stuff like that. But and and, and you want your team to win, so I'd be just as passionate as whoever a Scotsman, an Irishman, a Welshman, whatever it would be, would be as passionate for their country. I'd be the same. But um, at the end of the day, it's I think rugby's quite blessed that we have a good fans, and and also the camaraderie of rugby. So if you lose. You, you, that's it. That's the game, and you congratulate the winners. And if you win, you're you're very humble in in winning. It's it's one of those. It's that was a great game. It's, I loved it. Thank you and stuff like that. So I think we're quite lucky that that is still retained within rugby. And sure. you you want it to stay. You want it to stay like that as well. Yeah, 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 and, and I'm sure it will. Now, you had three tours of the British Lions, Jason, and, of course, a very famous victory versus South Africa in 97. And, you know, you would have been seen as, obviously, one of the key players. 
uh, for the Lions, um, British and Irish Lions. Uh, did you sort of look around the locker room and think, my God, look at my fellow compatriots and how talented they are and think, yeah, Jason, you've really made it. Um, I, I definitely, you definitely look around the room and see how much talent was in the room. That was for sure. Um, and it was, it was, how can you say, it was an absolute um, honour to, to, to be there representing the British Irish Lions. So, and, and everyone else feels that way as well. The, the Lions is something special. I mean, you, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's no detriment to whether you're English, Scottish, Irish or Welsh. You put on a Lions jersey and it is very special because of the, the legends who have played in that shirt before you. Like a, mm. a Willie John McBride, yeah, the uh, Keith Wood, uh, Brian O'Driscoll, Martin Johnson, all, mm. all these guys of uh, Gordon Brown. So you yeah. you realise when you, you you put on that shirt what um what a responsibility you've got. I, I would always do it thinking of uh, Frank Cotton from a, an English point of view. He was a great yeah. lion himself on previous tours uh and and another one would be graham price from from wales and another sure, yeah. absolute legend in a, in a lion's jersey so for for me you, you you're putting on you're pulling on that jersey but you're thinking about the people of, who have worn that jersey before you and you want to make sure you do that jersey justice the same the same way that those players did that all those years before yeah, I know it's it's a pinnacle, isn't it, really? And uh, um, so, what can you remember about beating South Africa? What's a standout moment uh, for you, Jason? Uh, oh, loads of them. I think in '97, uh, the contribution of all the, the league players because we had a load of league players come back at that time. Oh uh, yeah, and their contribution to the Lions was brilliant. Um, I think. In the first, yeah, so you have a look at Matt Dawson's try. You have a look mm. at Neil Jenkins. He's kicking in the second test. Uh, you have a look at Scott Gibbs flattening Oz Durant, the huge South African prop on a run. Yeah, uh, all, all things like that, but which is amazing in the test. But it was also it was the, the, the midweek games where you made sure that you... Um, the midweek is a, a, a just as important as the test players because they've got to keep the momentum going, and and there were some fantastic performances by the midweekers that made sure that kept all the the, the, the Saturday players on their toes because if they yeah. didn't play well, we had all these guys who were going to come in and take their places. So every every match it got better, the performances got better. So you, the game on a Saturday would be pretty impressive, and then the next game on a Wednesday. Would be even better, and then the game yeah. on the next game on the Saturday would be better than Wednesday. So that's that's how competitive that group of people was, and yeah. and it just it just made a a fantastic tour. Yeah, yeah, and um, cheeky question, Jason, but uh, Austin Healy gets an awful lot of stick. Um, is it justified? Uh, totally, absolutely. <laughs> It's, it's it's a hard one for us. And he's he's not he's, he's just uh, he's a very cheeky chappy. Uh, he's uh, he, he is actually a lovely bloke. Um, yeah. But um, he's he's a very confident young man in that aspect. So and he likes to tell me he's a very confident young man as well. Yeah. Um, so he, he gets he gets a bit of stick where he doesn't really he doesn't really justify it actually in that aspect. He's the one thing I'd always say about Austin, which I'd never say to Austin's face. Is, uh, is whenever whenever Austin played well, playing for England especially, um, more often than not, England would win because he was a type of player that could he'd be selected uh, on the wing, but then he'd pop up at scrum half, he'd play at fly half, he'd he'd have a little run at fullback, he'd be all over the place, and yeah. and and when he played well. I'd, I'd, I'd feel very confident to say that more often than not, England would win. If he had a good game, 
England yeah. would win because he was in the thick of everything. He was in the thick of everything, and and he was the same as a, as a Lions player as well because he was so talented. He could play in a number of positions. Yeah, tour. yeah, yeah. And was he was he a sledger? As we say in cricket, would he have? Chirped? Yeah, no. I'd, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he thinks he is the equivalent of a, an Australian cricketer <laughs> sledging at, at that time. I, I, again, you just you, you once once you once you you hear him going, you just you don't listen anymore in that space. <laughs> so you just yeah, switch of, off. You just switch off. A lot of people say that. <laughs> Look, I mean, this is fantastic, Jason. Really, really enjoying it. It's super. You've. You've come on as well. I've got to ask you a couple more things, and uh, but I was absolutely fascinated how you got drawn into this. Uh, so the um, five biggest drinkers that you have um, seen on the rugby scene, uh, you named five of them. Uh, a, a good friend of Loch Lomond Golf Club's number was number one. Don't know about number one drinker in this pack. Uh, and that was uh, Gavin Hastings. And then we had uh, Norm Hadley, who's Canada, which uh, Jason played in Canada uh, for a period of time. Um, uh, Scott Gibbs of Wales. Wade Dooley, who's six foot eight. Wade, who we've mentioned before, and Dean Richards. So that's the five that you named, Jason. Boy, they must be serious. I, I, don't, I don't think that was all... Um... It wasn't all just capacity, Bill, in that aspect. Uh, when you talk about Wade Dooley and, and Norm Hadley, that, that is capacity. I mean, right. one, one's got to be six foot eight and the other one's got to be about six foot nine. So <laughs> <clears throat> two, two very big guys who, who can put it away. Uh, Dino, Dean Richards is, is not far behind in that aspect. Um, but Gavin and Scott Gibbs would be um, guys that you want to go out for a drink with. They're, they're just two great guys, yeah, great fun guys, especially on yeah. tour. And you want to spend time with these these guys in their company. They're they're, they're just absolutely brilliant guys. All all all, all five of them are in in that aspect, yeah. like that. So um, it was always it was always a case of when someone asks you, it's, it's not just who's the biggest but also who would you like to spend time with and, and also being on tour everyone thinks that it's it's um it's all singing and dancing it's it's lovely and you, you don't you you have some hard times on tour as well so you want to be with yeah. people that you want to spend time with you go back in the day a, a, a simple tour of south africa australia new zealand so you, you you'd be away for at least four or five weeks. So yeah. you, you want to make sure that you're, you're, you're with good, good people. And hey. so, sociably is the best way to find out is whether they're people you want to spend company with, whether they're people that you, you want to go into battle with really in that aspect. Yeah. And, and all those players, I would definitely go into battle for because they're, they're great guys, but I'd also like to go out for a pint with them as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that explains then. Uh, you know the 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 list that you came up with. Um, you were asked or surprised to be on "This Is Your Life" with Michael Aspel uh, in the year two thousand. So, for those that don't know, this is uh, I, I don't think it happens anymore. But for years, it was hugely watched program in the UK where. By uh, it was Eamon Andrews that started it. Uh, it was a good quiz question, and uh, you know read this red book, um, and they would approach a celebrity, uh, somebody that's in the spotlight, and say, "So and so, this is your life." And the next thing, you're in a studio, and they go through uh, basically, <laughs> as it says, your life. H how surprised were you, Jason, with that? Did that take you completely by surprise? Uh, completely. I, I, <clears throat> I didn't see that coming at all. I didn't see that coming at all. I was, I was in a, in a um, bank in London and it was, a, it was a lovely day and it was a lunch and I think I had to go up to say thank yous on behalf of the guests actually, just to say 
what a great day it's been and, and thank you everyone for coming and stuff like that. And before I knew it, I was surrounded by England players. And I'm like, well, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And yeah. then Martin Johnson walked in. I'm like, what are you doing here? So it'd be like that. And then literally, as, as you said, because it was Eamon Andrews who started it off. It was Michael Parkinson who took over. And yeah. literally, uh, no, sorry, Michael Aspel, wasn't it? Michael Aspel. Michael Aspel, yeah. Michael Aspel. And, uh, and literally just appeared on my shoulder like like the uh like the, the cartoon character when we were kids like mr ben right the the, the character just popped up on my shoulder i'm like what are you doing here and that's where he, he obviously says the famous words jason Leonard, this is your life and it's it's a mixture of uh panic it's uh fear uh, <laughs> what they're gonna dig up <laughs> A little bit, because you just don't know. You obviously just don't know. So um, you are you are looking. There's a famous one. I think one of the footballers, Danny Blanchflower, I think, did a runner once. Literally climbed out of a window and run home or something like that. Oh, and you are looking. Yeah, and you're there going, right, okay, how can I? And of course, I'm in a bank, so it's like full knocks. So there's no way yeah. I was I was getting out and. Um, and it was it was wonderful because you had all your family there, you had all your friends there, and then we had this 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 the show um, in the studio, and then actually after the show, there's like a, a massive a massive party, and okay, uh, and and you, you get a chance to get around and see everyone and have a drink with everyone. So it was it's, it was fantastic, but literally for the first oh, couple of minutes, you are absolutely terrified. Oof, what an experience. And and the, the studio was that night. So the basically, Jason and this is your life. And then three hours later, you're in the studio. Yeah, no, basically they, they, they escort you to make sure that you can't then obviously jump into a taxi somewhere and, and, and go home or something like that. So <laughs> they, they actually escorted me off the premises in, into a car all the way to the studios and then said right this is this is the plan this is what we're doing and stuff like that and then once you walked out on the stage and you saw all, all your family and all your friends i mean you you, you are by by then you're 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 drawn in you're you're you're, you're sort of yeah i'm up for this sort of like that but um as i said just that first that initial bit that first couple of minutes you're just thinking how do i get out of this where, where can <laughs> I run from? sort of like that so so yeah yeah, oh, what an experience! Wow, um, I don't know if this is true or not, but did they name? I heard, I've heard this somewhere. Did, did they name a train after you? Yeah, on 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 one of the lines into uh, <laughs> Liverpool Street from Essex, um, and I, I think I think I might even still have the cast iron. It's like just literally just Jason Leonard sort of thing like that. It's huge. Weighs an absolute ton. Um, and that used to bring people in from Essex. Um, I'm not too sure about it. it's 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 running times and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, on it strike. Could, <laughs> it could have been broken down quite a lot of times. I'm not too sure, but um, <laughs> yeah, no. I'd, I'd, I'd always laugh. You'd, you'd be somewhere, and someone very kind would always come up. So I was, I was on your train the other night, and you're like, oh, right, so it's it's still running and sort of thing like that. So, so I never okay. heard anything negative about it. But yeah, no, very. Just a nice, nice gesture. Yeah, you know, it's kind of thing that does it come along with a trolley and it's like full of pints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no no, no seats yeah. on there whatsoever. So they're like, yeah. like just standing, yeah. standing on there. Yeah. Stand in the park. Um, well, Jason, you know, this is this has been terrific. Uh, you do, and I need to give a shout out, uh, a lot of charity work as well. The Atlas Foundation is very close to your heart. Uh, and you get involved with the Variety Club, who is very close to Loch Lomond's heart, and Bill Sangster uh, does a great job uh, with the Variety Club. So the, the Atlas Foundation, you, you've been associated with, with them for quite a while, Jason, and uh, obviously it does fantastic projects. Uh, if you'd like to explain um, a bit more about it, that would be great. So the, um, the Atlas Foundation helps uh, young children in uh, slums around the world so yeah. in some of the kids that live in some of the poorest um, worst conditions in the world and that's through 
education, that's through health, that's through sport, obviously rugby being one of them in, in that aspect. Um, but it's, it's more a case of just making sure that it's, it's not about giving a child the support to, to survive, but, but do more than that to, to actually help that child to thrive in that yes. aspect. And, and we're all very lucky where we, you get a chance to go on holiday or you go somewhere else. We're, we're talking about kids that, that have nothing, that have absolutely nothing. And it's, it's just trying to help them to be better people. And hopefully with that, better people, better, better, better education for them. And, and then hopefully they'll be able to themselves lift themselves out of the, the slums. Mm, well, I mean, it's very laudable. <clears throat> and the Atlas Foundation, uh, if anybody needs to look it up or, or subscribe or, or donate, I should say, would be, would be very, very much appreciated. The Rugby World Cup is coming up. Jason, last question for you. Who are you tipping outside of oh. England? So who are you tipping? I, I, I genuinely, I, I've got to say this now, if you, you look at World Cups his, historically, and I, this will not change, you you have to have at least three big games in your back-to-back. So that's a quarter-final, semi-final and a final. Yep. And you will always have a big a big match in your group in that mm. aspect. So you, you've got to win four big games against mm. four class opposition in that aspect. At this moment in time, I think there's only three, genuinely, there's only three teams in the world that most really could put that together. One is Ireland mm. in that aspect. I think the other is France being in mm-hmm. France as well, I think they're my if I if I was gonna pick if I was gonna pick one team that I think that could do it, South Africa is the only other oh. team in the world that can do it. I mean their 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 squad has more or less been retained from four years ago when they won the World Cup in Japan in two thousand nineteen. Sure. They've added a couple of players to their squad, which has actually made them a better team in that aspect. Mm-hmm. So there's there's an element where South Africa could be the dark horses in in this tournament. I mean, France in France will be mm. pretty impressive as well. I, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see Ireland do it. I really would. And someone was asking me the other day, saying, well, well what do you think? And I said, okay, but they've got some great players and they've won some fantastic games. Their coaching team now looks fantastic. This, this could be their World Cup. It could be their World Cup. But that said... That there's there's some big games to win there in that aspect. So I'd I'd love to see my 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 heart says Ireland, mm-hmm. but my head says it'll, it'll either be France or South Africa. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm obviously hoping for the Irish to to do the business. We haven't a great track record at tournaments, but this team does feel a bit different. So we'll just have to. To, to wait and find out. Uh, Mark Robson, who's a very good friend and uh, rugby commentator, tips France. Uh, he, he's very keen on France to do it. So uh, anyway, we just have to wait and see. Jason Leonard, on behalf of View from the Loch, thank you so much for being our guest. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure.